Hello, career cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder and CEO of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. So today my conversation is with my sister, Alice Woods, who in 2011 set out on a round-the-world trip on her 38-foot sailboat, True Blue, with a crew of two. I'm really excited to have her on the show for a couple of reasons. One, because I love talking to her. And two, because she has this amazing story to share. One, not only of physical endurance, but incredible emotional fortitude. And I think it's such a beautiful lesson for all of us. So welcome, Alice. Hi, Emily. Got some questions and and I kind of want to go back to the origin of this story. If you can take us back to 2009, when you and your partner, my brother-in-law, Steve, came up with the idea of sailing around the world. Yeah, well, originally it was Steve's idea. He had sailed with his father, uh, ocean sailed with his father as a young boy, and just got an urge to go out there sailing again. And I said, well, great, let's find a boat. He thought he'd like to go to the South Pacific. And I'm glad I didn't hold him back on that wish. You know, both Steve and I, our fathers had died young, and we both recognized that you really should make your dreams come true as much as possible in whatever time you have on this planet. And um, so thankfully I said, let's find a boat. And thankfully he found a really good one. And um, in the process of finding a boat, I said, you know, if, if he had originally just wanted to go to the South Pacific and I said, well, if we're going that far, why don't we continue and sail around the planet? Yeah. And um, so we found the boat, a vessel worthy of that task. She needed a bit of, of upgrade. Uh, for ocean crossings and for a long voyage away from uh, Canada. And so, um, yeah, so that was Aaron at the boat in January, found the boat, he found it, and her, and then we, um, uh, that was in January of 2010. Yeah, and, and can you kind of share the route that you traveled, maybe starting with Vancouver Island, BC, where you were stationed. Yeah, so um, I, we had intended to sail west about, which means sailing with the trade winds. And uh, that's a nice way to travel. Often people that are circumnavigating quickly will go a southern route below the, all of the southern capes. But we just wanted to take advantage of all that, all that beautiful breeze and easy, easier climate of the trade winds. And we hadn't seen ourselves to be in any kind of a hurry. So we decided to take that route. And that's, that was what we planned on. What, what were some of the preparation and experience you and Steve had already? Just living isolated is a big deal. Mm-hmm. The water prepares you 
for um, what to expect. I, I think that, you know, we have been mariners, although I, I hadn't sailed, I, we were mariners, we have been mariners for over 36 years. And we're familiar with the water and, and the British Columbia waters prepare you for just about anything else that you might incur or experience anywhere else in the world. Really cold water, rapidly changing weathers um, and currents and tides. And so those are all things that you have to negotiate around. But also our job uh, prepared us, our job and our lifestyle prepared us, the isolation of it, the, the need to provision for periods of time, uh, preparation of, of raw food, all of those things were, and, and uh, also the, I guess the experience of seeing all that can go wrong on the variety of vessels that encountered the waters of British Columbia that we assisted, that was a big part of my learning experience. Right, and when you're talking about assisting uh, you're talking about those 27 years that you were serving at light stations, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So whether it's just getting weather information out to people, getting information on vessels that had passed, uh, that were being searched for, um, going out and searching ourselves, assisting vessels that for a variety of reasons were broken down or people that had been injured on their vessel, all of those things we we had a lot of experience in, and I think that helped us prepare. Yeah, and, and so I just want to clarify for our listeners. So if you're from the U.S., lighthouses are not staffed, and they haven't been for decades, right? But in Canada, they are still staffed. And just to make sure everybody understands, this is not where you go when you retire and read books all day. This is a, this, you're part of the Coast Guard, correct, Alice? That's yeah, correct. And you're, as you yeah. mentioned, you're reading the re- weather, you're um, storing food, you have maintenance to do, you have to understand, uh, you're, you're actually calling in the weather every three hours to make sure that mariners are safe. Yeah, there's, there are scheduled uh, weather updates that we give every three hours. And then if the weather changes radically in between those three hours, we would give specials. And that is to keep the mariners apprised of what weather they might encounter as they pass mm-hmm. these districts where the light stations live and have a, have a broad view of the coast. So you had planned this trip and... Then you experienced something that could have put an end to your plans completely. And this is just one reason why our brother called you the most courageous person he knows. So, Alice, can you share what happened with our listeners so they understand what you were going through? Yeah. Well, first, I want to say that's a very generous assessment. Um, I, I can... Um, Steve died suddenly in August of 2010, he, he got, he had sudden onset pain and, and he, um, so it was very sudden, very dramatic, 12 days after he got a diagnosis, he mm-hmm. was dead. And um, I, I think significantly, it, it was also his choice. They did, could have done some radical treatment at that point 
but he had, uh, the day that he was diagnosed, a friend of ours, a very close friend had died from um, cancer the same day that Steve was diagnosed. But instead of going for the radical treatment, he decided to, that he had had a good life and he was able yeah. to let go. And, and I know he's, yeah, that, he said that. Yeah, just a, a, such a difficult year for Doug. And I think most people would give up a lot of people might fall into a deep depression and, and some might think it's more natural to avoid even more vulnerability after such an experience, but you pushed through your grief. And I think that's really worth telling. And so I, I just, I, I know it's, I, I know you're very quick to say that it's a very personal thing. Different people deal with grief a different way. But because your story is so hopeful, I think that that uh, people can learn from this. Yeah. Well, so I had a I had an advantage, I think, in that my concept of vulnerability is maybe different from other people's. As you say, there's a real high possibility of falling into a depth of depression and which grief allows for. But. I recognized that possibility and I was afraid to fall in that hole. And so I sought, so I sought a way to keep me off the edge of that. And to me, that was finding something else to focus on. And that luckily I had a vessel. I, I, and she was my vessel mm -hmm. of opportunity. Um, in, with Steve's death, I um, didn't want to go back to, to work at the light station immediately. And so in, in um, taking leave from that job, I also lost my house because you, you do not live at, in the light station house unless you are working there. And, and that's where you live. If you're, as a light keeper, that's where you live. So we didn't have another house. I did not have another place to go to, but I did have our vessels blue. And so um, that was what I chose. And, and one of the things that you've often shared with me about your experience is this metaphor of moving forward. And I just love that. I, I, I think not only in the sailing moving forward, there were other things that you did, you did, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but you know, one of the things that you did because Steve was an experienced sailor and both of you had this extensive experience with sea rescue, right? You were going to be responsible for some crew. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, a. it, it was, a. it, it took some stepping out. I agree. I, I think that part though of that impetus was, trying to find out who I was without Steve. And once I decided to take that journey and, and I didn't entirely go without Steve, I, I took all of the knowledge that he had shared with me and his love and his, that idea that he had wanted to travel as well. Mm. And, um, I also, and, and then once I, once I decided that that's what I would do is, is sail, um, sail blue anyway, I did, uh, I 
took some sailing lessons because I really wasn't sure how I, I knew how to run vessels. I knew how to understand weather and what to be cautious of, but I wasn't really under, I didn't really understand exactly how sails propelled a boat. And mostly I wanted to find out though, what were the things that you do not do? Mm -hmm. And I think that you have whatever you're going to endeavor, that's a good beginning is to find out what, what you have to be cautious of, and then you can branch mm -hmm. out from there. And so I did, I, I, um, went down to San Diego to visit our brother Don and Emmy and I took some lessons. I hired a tutor for two weeks to teach me how to about offshore sailing and what to be cautious of. So that was really helpful. And I um and I studied every maintenance <laughs> manual I could find. <laughs> That's helpful. Um yeah, so yeah. you 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 knew what the gaps were and you went after those. And, and something else that I know in this remote world that we're becoming, one of the things that has been so important to me is my tribe, whether it's you guys who are my siblings and my nieces and nephews, and my, of course my immediate family, my husband and, and children, and also my tribe of colleagues in the career space. And I, I really do rely on them. And I think when you're going through something like you did, that you, I think you found this incredible community that was, that was really quite helpful to you. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that people recognized the grief that I was going through and stepped in where they could to give me a hand. And I think that that was, that was so generous and precious, the, the good friends that I had and, and our, um, my whole family, but significantly my, my brother Don, who took up studying meteorology so he could give me uh, more extensive weather information along the journey. And Emmy, our sister-in-law, who made herself available to give me medical advice uh, for myself and my crew along the right. way. Right, Emmy and Don are both physicians. That's correct, yeah. And um, and also the marine community in itself is very helpful. They recognize the vulnerability of, that, of people out on, on vessels. Uh, they just get it. So the marine community is very cohesive and it doesn't matter where you are on the planet that community recognizes the, the family yeah. right away. It's interesting because you talked about the, the fact that you and Steve had been very isolated and that's how, because of that isolation, you learned how to be self-sufficient. But on the other hand, when I visited you, there were always people coming and going and, and they wouldn't just come for a brief you know, drop off of supplies. They would come in, they'd have some coffee, they might have a meal. Also, when I went up to Steve's memorial service, I was just, it was awesome. There were so many people from everywhere. And, and that speaks to what you're talking about, that community that's so important. It is, yeah, and that is the marine community. It's, it's linear along the coast, but it's extensive and very, it's a very cohesive understanding. Uh, 
I, it's, it's kind of hard to describe mm -hmm. it. It is your tribe and you recognize it and they recognize it. And that's, that's the important part. It has to be reciprocal. If you choose a tribe or if you mm -hmm. become whatever your community is, whether you find it in, in a church group or whether you find it in a politically active group, um, uh, when, or a company <laughs> or a company or an island, right? You, know, it, you mm -hmm. recognize who you're responsible for. Right. And who, and who you are responsible to. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, in addition to this community, you were drawing on your own resources, which you had built over decades. You were really self-sufficient from a very young age. And I think that that's a great lesson for any of our younger listeners, especially young women, to build those resources and those skills. Absolutely. I, you know, that, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll bring this up, Emily, because it, it's an important part of who I am and who you are with, with our father dying at an early, um, at an early age, he was 46. And we were all basically children, but we're of different ages. And so we all reacted very differently to it. My major reaction was that life can be very short and that um, to be cautious of your dependency on others. And mm -hmm. so I, I did, um, that was my lesson. Everybody at their different ages, I think had different, different takes from that. But I had determined that I would be capable of standing on my own feet if some devastating loss happened again. I have to say, it did not protect me entirely from what, from Steve's death, the loss, the feeling of grief, mm -hmm. but it did allow me to stand at least materially, at least physically, at least um, in, in, in being able to take care of myself. Yeah. At, at least my material needs, it, it did prepare that. So when, when I think that let me let me rephrase that answer a little bit. Like for young women, I think that it's very easy to stand back and let somebody else do the jobs that you are not familiar with. And and as young men women, we we quite often uh, are avoiding those jobs because of the because of the expectations of culture. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that standing into them once you once you stand in, uh, lean in and observe, you start to become familiar and then you start to um, gradually be able to get your hands in there. Um, and I think that all of those things, whether it's, whether it's banking or your occupation or your, you know, just being able to take care of yourself with, without a, without a vehicle you have or your um, repairs that are needed around your own home, because there's always something it's really good for you to be knowledgeable in what is there, because then at least, if something happens, you are you are able to not be totally at risk. Um, Absolutely. And vulnerable, yeah. So I'm not sure if I described that well. No, I think you did a fantastic job. And then I wanted to go to the other end of that spectrum for older women. Oh yeah, so so when. So I did find crew. We sailed down to Hawaii. I, 
initially when I left, I had been looking for all women crew. And one of those women, Ann Bailey, uh, stayed with the Blue and I the whole way from Hawaii to Hawaii. And uh, it's significant, I think, that these women were willing to jump aboard Blue because as much as, as we think about, I mean, if somebody thinks it took courage for me to do that trip, I, I actually knew what my vessel was capable of. And I had an understanding of what I was capable of. But these women that jumped aboard with me had no idea, <laughs> really. <laughs> so they are the brave ones. And I think that I think that that bears pointing out that they shows that they had they had knowledge, but uh, really didn't fully know what what they would experience. And so I think that they had quite a bit of bit of bravery. Right. And so the end at at the end for the last at least that last leg, it was just you and Annie. For half of those miles, yes, half the way. Uh, we did look, seek other women um, uh, sailors along the way, but it was difficult to connect at times, like Mary, who started out with me. Actually, Mary was aboard when I left Campbell River to Port Townsend, introduced me to the sailing women in Port Townsend, which was wonderful. And then Mary jumped aboard from uh, Hawaii to Darwin, Australia. And so th that was wonderful to have Mary aboard again, but she had to uh, go home, couldn't, couldn't go farther. But Annie was able to stay aboard and that was a big deal. Um, I, we crossed the Indian Ocean by ourselves. She's, she's a very capable sailor. Amazing. My first ocean crew was a young woman and a young man that were ready. We needed to go. They did not know each other. And incidentally, they now have a family of two children and they're married. <laughs> So it's a bonding experience. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and they're doing well. So that's fun. Amazing story. And talk about, you know, we were talking earlier about your wanting to move forward. And let's talk a little bit about some of the really cool things you were doing when you were not on your boat. When you weren't on True Blue, you were in Hawaii. We got to Hawaii, and then I could not travel west, farther west at that time because of storm season was setting in. So I would have I had to wait till the spring, and I think that my momentum and my focus largely kept me on the edge of grief, that pit of grief, that pit of despair and depression, which is so potential. I, I think I'm not sure that's the right word to use, but it sure is. It's very much there and the edges of that can be very, um, very fragile. And so when I got to Hawaii and had to wait till the next spring to sail, I, I, I recognized that I was falling into that hole in a big way. And so I had to reassess what I was doing and um, and try to pull myself out from away from that edge and started going swimming every day. Luckily, it's you know Hawaii and warm water. And I started swimming every day. I taught myself to swim. Uh, I just made it a goal just to get up off my bunk 
and put one foot in front of the other. And in some ways, it's that old phrase, fake it till you make it. You know, you just, you need light. You need physical activity if you want to stay, at least for me, that was an important part of staying away the depths of that depression. And then I found a, um, a friend of mine introduced me to a paddling club and, and that's a, a really beautiful metaphor for life too, pulling together, um, pulling another together, tribe. enjoy it. Yeah, another tribe, you're right. And so the generosity and the welcoming uh, aloha of the, of the Hawaiian people themselves, but of that club uh, specifically really helped me get through that winter. Yeah, and you were the elder on that. It was a six-man outrigger canoe, right? And, and you were 58 when you were doing that? Or is that when you yes. started your trip? Yes. I was 57 when I, well, let's see. I know I was 58 when I started my trip. So it would have been, I was, yeah, turning 59 and, yeah, jumping in a, a canoe. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. Out in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it was more marine. It was more an understanding of marine experience. It was more um, about, you know, physical endurance. Luckily, I have good health. That's a big that's a really big deal. It's a big gift to start with. Mm -hmm. And then you were, it wasn't just paddling. You were in some big time races. Yeah, we did long distance races. It was a blast. It was, <laughs> I think I do better at long distance. Clearly that's my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I had done a, a, an earlier podcast and you and I had talked about that because you listened in. Thank you for listening to that uh, with my colleague, that was a joy. Uh, Pooja Dang. And we had been talking about how some people block their own achievement of goals just because they're looking for perfectionism. And it was interesting because now at your level, where having things close to perfect can actually be helpful to survival. But you did say that sometimes even with something as ambitious as sailing around the world, where you do need to have things lined up, sometimes you actually have to tell yourself enough. This is enough. It's time to set out to sea. Yeah, that's, and that, that's really, you know, a lot of ocean sailors will say, will hear that often that, the hardest part of crossing an ocean is untying from the dock. And it's, it's letting go, it's letting, it's stepping out. There's a glorious reward in that. Certainly not if you're entirely unprepared. <laughs> but <laughs> but, uh, but if you are, if you have prepared yourself, you know, and, and had learned what you can and have your and have your vessel outfitted and you know what whatever it is that you're undertaking it is I, I thought that was a really good law, um, segment there that you did Emily because it is it can be par perfection can be absolutely paralyzing there's just it prevents you from excelling in so many different things even in your social interactions mm -hmm. and you know just being understanding what you are capable of having a some sort of control over and choosing those items like 
you know, I had a good boat. That's a really good start. I had good weather information. There's a, another really important part of the puzzle because you can hide from storms in the ocean, but you don't know that till you get out there. And it's just all of those things that you find out once you start stepping forward. I think that that's an important part of what you were talking about as well, Emily, you and Pooja, is that it's, it's, you don't know what comes next until you step out. Mm. And so prepare yourself as best as you can. At least for me, that was what worked and let and go. And step out. I love that, Alice. Step out. Yeah. So do you have, did you have any experiences either expected or not expected in your journey that you wanted to bring up and, and share? Yeah, I think that, I think that what, what I would really, you know, since there is limited time here, I think that what I would really like to, to share with people that I was the most unexpected thing was how small this planet is. I left BC in 2011 and didn't get back till 2014, but I sailed away from Hawaii in the spring, significantly Mother's Day in 2012, with three women, we were all in our 50s, and sailed west and arrived back there after eight and a half months at sea. And uh, it, it actually took us 14 and a half months to get from Hawaii to Hawaii, but only eight and a half at sea. Averaging 100 miles a day, it only takes that long to sail around this planet. And that is shocking. It's that small. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when, when we did arrive and when we crossed uh, my out, our outbound track, I was physically shocked. I was, my body knew it almost before my brain did it. it it's, it's physically shocking experience to realize the limitations of this planet. And that I would love to impart to people that how, just how preciously small this planet is. We're used to looking at flat, these flat projections, these maps that give you the kind of this impression that it's, I, I know that we know it innately. We, I mean, we, we realize that it doesn't go on forever, but when you're looking at a flat map, it appears to extend in four directions and it doesn't. It actually, you should look at those maps as though they're lent, as though they're wrapped over your fist. It's mm -hmm. small. The horizon is like three miles away when you're at sea level. It's just that small. So you're sailing over the horizon for eight and a half months. You realize, I think, how small it is. And how we have to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because mm -hmm. that's it, mm -hmm. right? That's it. And if, you, if we recognize how precious it is and how small it is, I think that we will be, it will be easier for us to acknowledge our responsibility to protect this jewel. I think that's a really great message to end on, Alice. And I thank you so, so much 
for sharing your story. I do want to stress that Alice and I realize what Alice accomplished isn't a common endeavor. And it did take years for her to achieve mastery before setting out. So it wasn't something she could just decide to do on a whim. She had, there was a lot of preparation involved. But her ability to push through her grief is, I think, a universal example for others when we're experiencing emotional blocks, um, that there really is a way forward. So Alice and I really hope that this helps someone. And I also want to let my listeners know that Alice is not on social media. So please feel free to send any thoughts and or questions to me. And I'll forward those to Alice, who will then respond. Um, my email address, which is also in the show notes, is emily at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you're listening through Anchor, you can actually leave a voice message that I'll play for Alice. And by the way, those that chirping, those are Hawaiian birds in the background. Uh, Alice is, is outside in that beautiful Hawaii weather right now. So... Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful day. Okay, Alice. Love you. I love you too, Emily. Thanks for your work. This episode is dedicated to Steve Berg, who lived life to the fullest and dreamed big. And I believe one of the reasons the Mariner community on Vancouver Island is so strong is Steve's leadership and kindness. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all of my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career, head over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consultation to discuss how I can help you achieve your goals. Please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content.